The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Loving That Sports Talk with your host, James Loving. If you're looking for a fast-paced show that covers football and so much more, this is the place to be. Now, here's your host, formerly of the Philadelphia Eagles, James Loving. This is James Loving, your host for Loving That Sports Talk. It's good to be back on the air to talk good stuff. Um, I got two great guests today, you know, it's a really... Uh, it's gonna be a great show. Uh, I'm excited to have them on here. So, um, I'm gonna sit back and let them talk and let them. I'm gonna listen and learn some things, you know. But I'd like to uh, to my first guest, um, Deborah Wall. How you doing, Deborah? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for being on. Thanks. And I have a guest, Nally Grace. Hey, Nally. Hey, James. How are you today? Pretty good. Pretty good. Well, uh, what I do first before we jump into it, because I want to get all this show in and talk, but just a little, tell a little bit about yourself, Deborah and Nellie. Um, you want to go first, Deborah? Sure, why not? Um, my name is Deborah, and I'm currently working at Woody View GMC here in Naperville as an outside sales rep, and um going to be working with James on other projects as well, so I'm very excited to be on the show. Nellie? Well, my name is Natalie Graves, and I am a licensed clinical social worker, and I have a private practice where I specialize in working with athletes, and I deal with various issues as it relates to substance abuse, anger management, stress, you name it, any issues that or concerns that uh, an athlete would have often field or off the court, we deal with that. Well, I want to start off, this is what I'm going to do. Um, um, Deborah has some good views, and you know, what I want to do is I'll be asking questions, and kind of let me and Deborah talk, and now you come in and you um, counsel it to see what, you know, what um, people out there can do. I want to start off, you know, Deborah saying, you know, uh, we didn't give it um, much thought. I didn't think of it when I spoke to you, Deborah and Nally, before when we talked about the Ray Rice incident. Mm-hmm. I didn't look at it a different way. I didn't look at the victims, and I think that's what we need to focus on. We was all focused on Ray Rice and his football career, but we got to look at the victims, and they don't know, really know what it is till they hit home. But I want to start off and talk about today the victim, about the women, now the women out there, you know, not only people who deal with athletes, but just the women and people in general also what goes on. But I want to start with you, Deb. I mean, it just it's just so alarming and when you see it and you hear about it and the different things of women, you know, that don't want to leave the household or something. What do you think, Deb? Well, I come from a personal perspective. I grew up in an abusive alcoholic home and I watched my mother be abused as well as uh, us four children. 
And unfortunately, I'm, again, I'm not in, in Natalie's position, so I can't come from a social perspective or a psychological perspective. I basically can come from that personal, um, being involved in that kind of environment. What happens is that it's a conditioning process. For me, I watched my mother going through verbal um, demenializing to escalating to that physical violence where he put her in the hospital several times and us kids as well. But it starts out very small. And I think that that small picking away at someone's character and at their um, identity of who they are and demenializing them, that's the start. And I don't know if there's any kind of physiology that happens with this. I know there's a psychological process that takes place, again, seeing it personally, where all of a sudden that victim starts believing that they are not of good value or they are not of any worth. And they start buying into what the abuser is telling them. And my mother did that as well. And unfortunately, it got to the point where 55 years later, she's still with the abuser and still has a very low self-esteem. Now, from a child's perspective, seeing my mother abused and being abused, that messed up my identity and who I was. And you're right, a lot of the times the emphasis goes upon the perpetrator and not the victim. The victim, and I'm sure Natalie can agree with this as well, the victim is the one who needs the help because they're being victimized. They have gone through a process of character breakdown where they don't know who they are anymore and all they are is now a puppet for the perpetrator. And I do see a lot of this because I believe if my mother had had that personal one-on-one care with somebody who educated her, who gave her the knowledge and and also encouraged her, she could have got out of that situation that she currently is in. But unfortunately, it continued on. And then when you have children, they see that and then they are drawn into an environment that could be the same potential of what they grew up in. What's your thoughts, Natalie? Sorry. You're you're absolutely right. James, first, I want to just thank you for, for raising this issue. And October is actually Domestic Violence Awareness Month. Uh, and James, I know you know that. And I just think that this is so appropriate that we change the narrative of the discussion and focus on the victim. So, so I just want to thank you again for having me on. And to Deb's point, you're absolutely right. And it's important to note that anyone can be a victim, um, whether yeah. it's any age, any sex, any race, culture, religion, education, whether you're employed or unemployed, whether you're married or not married, and, and both men and women can be abused. And, and we talked about that before. The thing that is really important that we need to focus on when we're we're looking at and trying to understand the victim's point of view and the victim's psyche, the first thing we don't want to do is ask, why did they stay or why are they staying, but what can we do, you know? Correct. So so that's, that's the first thing. Mm -hmm. When we're looking specifically at 
someone who is in a relationship that is abusive, a lot of times there are a lot of narratives. There's a lot of reasons why, and if we're talking about um, a woman and, and for the sake of this conversation, why a woman will stay. One of the reasons is children. Yep. That if, if they leave, they're afraid that something will happen to their children and maybe they cannot leave their children or take their children with them. So that's one mm-hmm. thing. We don't think about um, pets. A lot of women um, are very concerned about their pets and they don't want to leave them. Mm-hmm. Another scenario is that they have literally nowhere to go. Right. And when we talk about um, the, the cycle of domestic abuse and we talked about the, the power and control, mm-hmm. the, the woman generally, by design, by the abuser, has been isolated. So where she right. may have had a support system with her friends, with her family, with her church group, being in a domestic violent controlling relationship, she no longer has those connections, so she's very isolated. So when she thinks about leaving, she feels she has nowhere to go. Correct. Then if she, another case is she wants to leave and she doesn't know where she can go. She doesn't know that possibly that there are shelters in her area or things like that. And then financial is another mm-hmm. reason. Oftentimes, they are financially dependent on the head of the household and they have no control or any access to funds and financial. So they really don't know what what they can do. So those are some of the reasons. And then also these women believe or truly do love their husbands or their boyfriends. And right. they're hoping that this will be the last time. He said he was sorry. Um, I, you know, if I, if I just do the right things, this won't happen again. And so they will Correct. sometimes internalize and own the, the, the uh, abuser's behavior as their fault. Mm-hmm. So, th- so there's right. a lot of factors why women stay. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and we're seeing this. James, we talked about this before on Twitter where um, a former, a survivor of domestic violence created a hashtag, hashtag, why did I stay? And women were on, on t- Twitter giving their reasons and then giving a face to the situations they were in. And, and you know, so it's a very complex, complicated issue, and it's not just as simple as we're just walk out. It's just not right. as simple as that. And, and so it's really important for us outsiders kind of looking in and trying to understand this is mm-hmm. to get that. And to Deb's point, absolutely, uh, she needs to get help. She needs counseling. She needs to feel right. safe. And she needs stability. And so in, in, in Cook County, you know, we have domestic violence courts, and we have shelters, and we have programs. But when you're in it, when you're in that moment, in that relationship, right. you, you're not even able to think about those things a lot of times. Right. And so that's just kind of a snapshot 
of someone in a domestic violence situation. You know what, Nellie and Deb, we got to take a break. But when we come back, I got some questions on that. I'm sure you do, Deb, Deb too. But sure. I want you to talk mm-hmm. more about, you know, now, like, you know, you, you, you got people that support them, but if they keep going back and back, they're going to stop supporting you. Now what does that person do? I mean, you know, but we're talking about going, let me take a break. Or we'll come back. We're going we're gonna to question, like I said, we focus on victims because we don't too much look at that. We're looking at the person who did it and, you know, not looking at the victim. So this is James Love, my guest, Deborah, and now we'll be right back. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. Want to experience football from the perspective of two former players who also have coaching experience? Tune in to Sports Info UM with Daryl Oliver and Sam Sword. We'll talk about the drafts, play-by-play, and even what's happening in the offseason. Daryl and Sam have the connections and the knowledge to bring you the inside stories of the game's past, present, and future. We'll cover the camps, on and off field, and everything else, football and beyond. Sports Info UM is heard Mondays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. You're hooked up with loving that sports talk. James Loving and his guests want to hear it from you. Call us at 1-888-346-9144. That's 888-346-9144. Or drop an email to lovingthatsportstalk at yahoo.com. Now, back to the show. This is James Loving with Loving That Sports Talk. I'm not going to say it, you know. Sorry I wasn't on last week, but um, we're back and it won't happen again, you know. Got great support behind me, you know. Um, Want to put a shout out to Chris Marwitz from being behind me all the time and helping me out. So you know, just want everybody to know that. But you know, I got great people like you know. And Dev, I know you got a question, but let me can I ask one real quick? Um, now oh, I know we all. Can. Absolutely. You know, I spoke to you, Deb. I know we all go through things in life, and you know, everybody have a story, and I have. You know, once they hit home, like I said, it's really tough. But now, my thing is. When you have these people that the victims, like we said, we we talk about the victims because we got to get the word out to the victims that they got to get out, you know. And when you have that, and the victims keep going back, what do you do, Nally? I mean, you you try. It almost saying, you know, a little boy who cry wolf. You keep going back when the wolf. Am I right, Deborah? Or help me mm-hmm. out now. Well, what it's very important to note that the the statistics state that anywhere between five and nine times it takes for the, for the woman to, to leave and come back to be finally gone. 
Those, right. are, those are the statistics with that. So just understanding that really kind of illustrates how complicated it is to cut ties when you when you you feel that you should. And a lot of times with family who may be witnessing or who is aware that their loved one is in a a unhealthy or domestic violence relationship they want to just say okay leave and be done and and so we can yeah. keep you safe and that that is our natural response because we want to care for our loved ones but what we have to understand is that the person who's in that abuse has been in a cycle and right. that cycle is not easily broken and so although the family or friends or loved ones may be interjecting themselves in the situation and saying, hey, you know, Sally, you, you have to get out of this. You, you, can, you need to leave him alone, that kind of thing. Sally may be in a mindset still of this is going to be okay or it was my fault or he said he was sorry and this really is going to be the last time. And so right. when, you're, when you have that type of thought process, there's, there's a, a part of you that it takes time to actually realize that this is no longer a healthy situation. And a family member may say, well, she has a black eye. She doesn't see that this is not healthy. Right. We have to understand in, in that what we can do is provide support. Mm-hmm. We cannot make them leave, we can't kidnap them, we can't force them, but what we can do is say, I am here, I will not judge you, I want you to do this, but you have to make your own decisions, and you have to empower them, because in their relationship, they don't have that power, and they feel a lot of guilt, they feel a lot of fear and concern, and they're also worried there's a lot of threats. Well, if you leave me, I will kill myself. If you leave me, I will hurt your children. I will kill your parents. And so there's a lot going on that the outside family and friends and, and support group may not even understand everything that's going on. But what we see is, well, she has a black eye or... Her leg is broken, so this is a simple solution. And if it was a simple solution, they would have left. There's a lot of um, psychological damage. There's a lot of um, diminished self-esteem and self-confidence. And so as the support or as the family of someone who is going through this, we want to make our presence known. We want to provide support, but we, we don't want to put them in more harm's way. So what I would encourage a lot of family members who know that their loved one is in a domestic violence situation is to call the hotline, the domestic violence hotline, and I'll give that number, and seek some guidance on things that they can do. Um, get a plan together, help her to get a plan together. 
if she is if she feels that she can't leave and there's some obstacles, what are some of those obstacles? Is it that um, you don't you can't um, you have nowhere for the children to go? Well, well, let's let's come up with a plan with that. Well, I can't leave my 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 cat. Okay. Well, let's come up with a plan with that. And it's not that we're forcing this on them, but we're we're making plans. So when she's ready, she's able to do some of the things that she needs to do to leave. It may be a financial situation. Can we have a situation where we can place her in a hotel? When you call me and you say a code word when, I, when I'm talking to you, I know that I need to have a place ready for you. You know, those kind of things that we can do. We also need to continue to love them and support them. We need to reinforce that this is not their fault because right. in society, we so easily blame the victim, whether the victim mm-hmm. is of, from sexual abuse or uh, domestic abuse. And it's very easy for society to say, well, she asked for it, or it was her fault. Well, what did she do? So what we want to do as family members and friends in the support group is to reinforce this is not your fault. You didn't do anything to deserve this, and we are here for you. Unconditionally, Uh we are here for you. But can we make an adult do something? No, we can't. But what we can do is support and love them. And that's a hard thing to do for family to know what's going on in a household where their, their, their daughter or their sister is in a bad situation and she remains there. It's hard for family to accept and deal with that. But what we can do is continue to be the support and empower her that Anytime she wants to leave, she can do that. And, and it's, it's difficult. This is, this is not easy to ask for family, fathers, particular fathers who have seen their daughters be in a domestic violence situation and maybe they come home for a little bit, but then they go back. That is, that is very trying. And, and, James, you use the term crying wolf. Well, it's not that they're crying wolf. It's that they're, they're still in a domestic violence cycle. And until that cycle is broken, it is very difficult for that woman to leave. It doesn't mean that she will not leave, but it, it takes time. And let me just give for your, your audience, let me just give the, the domestic violence hotline. It's 1-800-799-SAFE, S-A-F-E, 1-800-799-SAFE. So if you have if you find yourself in a, in a situation, a domestic violence situation, or a loved one may be in a domestic violence situation, that's, that's the national number to call, and they can provide you with some help. Deborah? You know, and Natalie, you're right. One of the things that my mom did not get was she did not find somebody in a family member or a friend that would stand by her side for the duration of the time that she needed. It's okay, people will come and go. It's like, yeah, I'll be there for you. I'll make a phone call for you. I'll help you out with this or that. It's like in business. You don't right. go into a business as an entrepreneur and say, oh, I'm just going to take on this business and I'm going to have a heyday with it. I'm going to go talk to a few people and I'm going to be a millionaire. You have to have a plan in place. Right. But when you have that plan in place, you empower the victim because 
they're going on domestic violence and they're going through all these emotional things. But on the other side, they go, wait a minute, someone is investing into me. I've got to take time to work with them. And you're building yourself up on the right-hand side while the left-hand side is still being torn down. But you're right. right. There comes a paradigm shift in the relationship within the parent or within the person who's being victimized where they say, wait a minute, I'm stronger in my plan here than I am in the situation over here. And I want to ask you a question. I do not know that this is um, truth or not, but is there a chemical imbalance in a person who's been abused? Let me share with you why. My mother is a very vivacious, outgoing individual. When I talk to people who knew her as a young woman, she was the most entrepreneur, nothing could stop her, happy, everybody loved her. When she married my dad, she began to go downhill. Now, I know serotonin and melatonin are the part serotonin brings happiness and joy to us, chemically-wise, right. and then the melatonin right. this is depression. Did something chemically happen to a woman who's being victimized where the melatonin kicks in and it causes more depression? Well, it's tough to say with, without really talking to your mom, you know, exactly what was going on with her. Were there um, some, some issues? You know what, now, I'm sorry. I don't want to cut you off, but let me go to break. That way we won't get broken up into you answering the question. Okay, I'll, I'll answer on the, on that. Yeah. Okay. Um, we'll be right back. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Are you a real sports fan? Get ready to talk football and anything else sports with Kwame Lasseter. Formerly with the Arizona Cardinals, San Diego Chargers, and St. Louis Rams, Kwame's got the experience. So he's prepared to talk sports with you every week on Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk. It's on the Voice America Sports Network every Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time. Get ready for an unpredictable, fun, and sometimes sarcastic look at the world of sports. That's Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk on the Voice America Sports Network. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? You're hooked up with loving that sports talk. 
James Loving and his guests want to hear it from you. Call us at 1-888-346-9144. That's 888-346-9144. Or drop an email to lovingthatsportstalk at yahoo.com. Now, back to the show. This is James Loving, host of Loving That Sports Talk. I'd like to say that I wanted to personally thank Deborah and Alex for being on the show. I'd like to say we're going to talk about the victim. Um, like Nally said, this is um, domestic violence month. And we're going to um, hit it up hard this month and let the victim know, you know, you're not alone. You know, call somebody, mm-hmm. get that help. Um, but go ahead, now. I'm sorry we're going to interrupt you on your answer to Deb. I don't know if you want to re-ask the question, Deb, or do you really, do you still know the yeah, I, James. I think I think what you said is is so important for families to understand is to really convey you are not alone because when right. you are in a domestic violence situation, it is a very emotional and it's very stressful, and so the right. victims are dealing with a lot that we don't we're not aware of. Not just not just the physical violence, which is is horrible right. enough, but there's a lot of emotional abuse as well. And so frequently um, victims are suffering from a lower self-esteem just because of what the abuser has made them to feel and think, that they're, they're not as good as they used to be. And to go back, Deb, to, to your mom, right? you know, when you said before she, she married, she was a very outgoing person and and it, and it may not necessarily just been a chemical reaction, but it could have been, but it could have just been she emotionally had to shut down to endure right. what she was going through with her husband. So that could be right. one thing. And, and <clears throat> one of the things that is so hard for families is the biggest thing that they can do is to be understanding. And that is so difficult. That's a difficult ask to ask family members and friends to be understanding and to be patient because we have this urgency and we, and and it's natural. We don't want our person to be harmed. Right. But if we come in with an iron fist and an excuse the pun, if we come in forcefully trying to tell them to do something, we are mimicking what the batterer is doing. Right. So we have to come and say, I'm here for you. I don't, un- I don't understand everything that's going on, but if you want to talk to me, I'm here. I will not judge you. And I support you. That is very, very important because I cannot emphasize this enough. These women oftentimes feel so isolated and so alone. And just right. your presence or your phone call, just touching base, not even asking a question about what's going on in their relationship, but just the presence really makes a big difference. And to the outsider, that may not feel like you're doing anything, but you really are doing something. You are making a standard that I'm here no matter what, and I'm not going to judge you. And so when the, the person begins to open up, we have to listen. Let's not be quick to say, 
Well, well, all you have to do is leave, or you just have right. to do this. We have to just listen and understand and be supportive and let mm-hmm. her go through her process. But if we immediately begin to just shut her down and, and decide that we're going to make the decisions for her, she's going to shut down with you as well. Mm-hmm. So it's very important, and, and, and even me saying this, I know how difficult that, that is, but that is the best approach. We have to really recognize the signs of domestic violence in that the person becomes more withdrawn. Right. So, so if they're withdrawing, it's a mechanism to, to try not to feel what's going on. It, it, it's, it's actually a shutting down. And I don't know, Deb, if you saw that with your mother. Oh, yeah, a, definitely. Yeah. Did, did you see that, Deb? Yes, indeed, yes, uh-huh. And, and so I thought it was more introverted and closed down and more secluded. Right. And it was something that, that you said uh, before the break that is very, very typical. You said there, was, there wasn't a family member or a friend there for her. You know, and Precisely. a lot of times in society, what, what is our response? That's not our business. That's uh-huh. not my concern. Well, that, mm-hmm. that's, that's, that's something that, that that's between them. And so when right. we take that type of stance, already the victims are, are feeling very, very isolated. And then we take on this stance of, I'm just going to step back. Well, it just, it creates a, a situation where the, oftentimes the women feel like there's nowhere to go. And, and, there, and it's a very fine line. On one hand, you know, I'm saying you have to be patient and understanding, but on the other hand, you know, I'm saying, well, you have to be there. Well, the way you're there is by being understanding, by giving a call, stopping by, if, you, if, if, if you're able to do that, and just be supportive. And, and I understand that domestic violence, it affects so many aspects of, of a person's life. We're talking about her. We're talking about their children. We're talking about her family. And, and so there's a lot of dynamics in play. But if you turn your back on them or don't be understanding, then they really have nowhere. No problem. Yeah. Right. You know, so, yeah. so I, I understand that it's difficult but we, we do have to look at this as a process, and she has to come to a certain point where she right. makes that decision. And, you know, there is a possibility that the, the uh, batterer or the abuser could get some help and could get in treatment and things could turn around. And so we don't, we don't want to, you know, we don't want to inter- interject ourselves in the relationship what we want to do is give her options and, and areas where she can make some decisions for herself. Because in that relationship, because it's all based on power and control, mm-hmm. so when she's going elsewhere, we don't want her to feel like she's powerless and she has no control of her decisions outside of her husband because she's already right. feeling that way. And that's really important to understand also. Well, I want to take it a step further. One of the things that I am personally doing, I am going to be an advocate for women who've been abused and children who've been abused. 
Now, why I'm doing that, I always heard growing up, oh, you got to be an overcomer, you got to be an overcomer. Right. Well, I went to all the meetings and all the counseling, et cetera, et cetera. And I kept hearing overcoming, what do you mean, surviving, correction. you got to be right. a survivor. And I said, no, I'm not going to be a survivor and just hang on. I'm going to be an overcomer. And one of these days, when I get old enough, and I told myself as a young person, I'm going to be an advocate for the voice crying out for these women, these people who are being abused, be it the children or men, women, like you said, anybody in these abusive situations, and say enough is enough. Another way of doing that, and I really wish there was a group out there I'm not aware of, is if women who've been abused, who have the confidence and gone through the process, can get out there publicly speaking and say, this is what happened to me. And this is the process and the plan that I took to get out of it. Now, there may be that person who's sitting in that audience who's a professional and has been abused or being abused or her children are being abused. Right. She's going to hear that message and go, wait a minute. I'm looking at this individual standing up in front of me. She's gone through a various amount of things that I'm going through right now. And that hope and that confidence and that faith in God, she could look and say, wait a minute. If it can happen for her, why couldn't it happen for me? And it gives a different perspective because a lot of the times, I mean, I've confronted my dad God knows how many times about abusing my mother. Mm-hmm. And the one thing I never did is call the police on him because he said my mother would leave in a body bag. Right. That was fear. The threat. The threat, yes. But, the threat, exactly. But when I became of age, it's like enough is enough. I am not holding secrets, and that's what abusers do. That's and right. victims do. And the children do. Oh, I got a black eye because I fell down the stairs. Or my arm is broken because I was swinging in my swing set and I fell off. Well, please, it's middle of winter. Are you kidding me? Right. So you can be compassionate. People who've been abused can pick up when someone else is being abused. I can pick it up anywhere. I've been in business meetings before, and I just go up to that person and I start having a conversation. I openly share about my, my life and my journey because I'm an overcomer. And they'll call me up later and say, you know what, I'm going to right now. What's the steps to get out of this? Right. Remember, yeah, before what, you answer, Nally, I want to ask you, Deb, before you yeah. answer, Nally, because I want you to talk on this, Nally, but Deb, when, and like you were saying, you come in and you see your mom abused and you didn't call yeah. police. What do a person do? You don't call, you know, like you see a, a family member, daughter, or and you don't call the police. What do you do? Because, I mean, if you do call them, then a person goes back to that person two days later, you had a loss. So what do you do, Deb? And then you go ahead and ask them, Nally. Because isn't that uh, hard not calling the police, Deb? You know what I'm saying? It is because when I was younger and my dad would say that to us, I would think, oh, my God, this is taking away my mother and we're probably going to go through DCFS and we'll be taken away from my parents. Right. The environment that we have, that safe environment that I thought was there. He's okay. not beating her every single day. He just beats her up on the weekend. Or he beats his kids, you know, every four or five days. So you become conditioned, too, and you feel guilty when you don't call the police. That's one of the things I always dealt with, that my mom is being hurt again, or my brother or sister or myself are being hurt again because we didn't get the police involved. So I don't know if I really have an answer for that, except you have to realize that it's not going to change. Right. If somebody hits somebody else, I don't care who they are, professional athlete, blue-collar worker, white-collar worker, 
chances are they've broken that barrier, they're going to do it again. And that's the time it needs to stop. And that's when, you know, I told my mother, just recently my dad did this to my mother and put her in the hospital, I mean, just a week ago. And they're in her 80s, for heaven's sakes. And I drove down and I told my mom, I said, enough's enough. You're not going back to him. Things are going to change. I'm sorry I didn't have the courage to do this before, but I'm going to be making these decisions because you're not mentally in a position where you can. She grabbed my hand and said, thank you. Yes. This is the first time in 55 years of marriage that I'm finally free. No. Yeah, that's really powerful, Deb. And you were in a position where you could actually take care of your mother and place her somewhere and and she you know, it's not a situation where she would she would want to come back. But even even with that, we have to be careful and and I'm not I, I can't speak on your parents and, mm-hmm. and um what their situation is, but we have to be careful about stalking. We have to be careful yeah. about, you know, the obsession with the woman and, and those kind of things. So we, we just have to be aware where, you know, on all levels when um, the, the abuser in this case removes herself from, from the batterer. But I wanted to just kind of go back to what, what family members and, and friends can do. And, and one, of the, one of the important things is really to encourage the victim. Yes. Encourage, encourage her to take part of events or, or activities outside of the abuser. Because remember, right. what the abuser wants is to isolate her and keep her away from yeah. her friends, her family, things that she likes to do. So we yeah. want to try to encourage her to, to re-engage with things that she used to do, to re-engage in, with people that, that she used to be connected to. That, so that's really important. And, and a lot of times the abuser um, will, you know, really be resistant to that. Um, but that's something that, and the reason why we want to do this is it will raise the self-esteem yeah. of the victim being involved with an activity that she used to be involved in or connected with a friend or family. And that also mm-hmm. provides more emotional support for her. So that's right. really, really important. And, and not to, you know, I don't want folks to undermine that, oh, this is, this is so simple, but it really makes a big difference. Right. The, other, the, the next thing that friends and family can do, and I touched on it a little bit, is provide information to the victim. Provide mm-hmm. information about shelters in her area or programs. And so we can, as the family members, uh, as, as the, uh, the, the support system, do some research in her area of places where she can go. And so that mm-hmm. way the victim has, has the choice to make the decision on her own to seek out assistance and help. Providing mm-hmm. those resources is really helpful to her. So, that, so that's the next thing. And you want to do this in a non-threatening way. You want right. to do this in, in, in a way that is not pushy or overbearing or aggressive. You want to just say, I am presenting this 
just so you know, just so you have the information. That's all I'm doing. And you don't have to, you know, you don't have to make a decision right now. I'm just giving you the information. And again, with the hotline, let, let's talk a little bit about the domestic violence hotline. And again, that number is 1-800-799-7233, which is SAFE, 1-800-799-SAFE. 7233. When you call uh, the hotline, you can discuss different situations, and someone on that line can, can advise the family members and the friends mm-hmm. on specific things in that particular situation and how to handle it and how to move forward. That hotline mm-hmm. can be very, very helpful. And again, being supportive and understanding in a very non-judgmental way, which is very difficult to do. But if you want to try to engage someone who is in a domestic violence situation and you want to become a resource to that person, you cannot be judgmental. You cannot be short-tempered and frustrated that they're not making the decision that you want them to make. You have to be open to listen, and you have to be patient. Now, you said something that's very important, and a lot of people don't know when you was talking, that you have to see signs. And the signs I didn't see is like every time you're around family members, you want to keep her from that, you know? Yes. You want her to be happy. I'm like, well, every time we're around family members, he's like, you know, I mean, don't want her around. Don't want her having a good time. He was isolating her. When you yeah. said that, now I go back and see, like, man, that's what was going on, you know? So when you're talking, like, all these people out there, you have to see the signs, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and that, that's, that's really true. And, and, James, you know, the last time I was on the show, we talked about the power and control wheel. And, right. and the, the wheel, it, it's actually, you know, it's a circle because it's a circular process that would, ha- would happen. When... When uh, you are in a domestic violence situation, it generally does not start with a, a knockout punch to the face. It no, starts no. with emotional abuse. It starts with controlling your movement, which means where you used to go over your parents' house to visit, where you used to hang out with your girlfriend's, now right. you're just with him. And, and it's very subtle. It's very subtle, you know, and it's always, oh, you know, Mom, I can't come over this time. Oh, but, it, but we always have our barbecue on the 4th. Oh, well, we're going to do something else this time. And then right. that becomes the norm. And so what's going on is, is that that's the beginning of the isolation where mm-hmm. you used to get those phone calls or you used to be able to call her and reach her. Now the phone goes to voicemail. Or she picks up and says, I will call you back later, but you never get that call back. This is the beginning right. of the isolation. So, so why mm-hmm. would, what is the benefit of, of someone who, who is a uh, violent uh, domestic batterer? What, what is, the, what is the, the, the reason for that? The reason for that is when you take the woman away from her support system, you take her away from her friends, her family, maybe she, she um, used to volunteer, 
or she used to do things after work, and you take those things away, now she's dependent solely on him. Right. And if she is solely dependent on him, what does he begin to have? Control over her. If she if right. he has control over her, then he can overpower her. So that is the beginning right. of it. Then we go to emotional abuse. Oh, you, you look fat in that dress. Oh, this, this meal is horrible. This right. house is not clean enough. You know, you, 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 um, you, you're not a good mother. You know, right. this, these things are happening. So it's a constant attack on her person and her ability. Right. So you, you're dealing with that. So now you're isolated and now you're dealing with emotional abuse. Then we go into, well, we will, you know, an argument will happen and I'm going to stand over you. I'm going to block you. I will grab your wrist. I will push you or hold you. And it goes on and it escalates and it becomes more frequent and it becomes more severe. And then the process goes on where it becomes even more violent, whether mm-hmm. it's punching and, and um, using things in the house, you know, to, to cause harm. And also something that, that we don't touch on a lot that, that definitely happens is also sexual abuse. Right. Where even if you're married, you know, um, um, sexually assaulting your wife or your girlfriend, this all fits into that power and control wheel. So these women are being attacked emotionally, physically, mm-hmm. sexually at, at, in some cases. And so it's, 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 it's a process that they have been going through and enduring for quite some time. So we have to understand as a support system that this will not just change immediately. Sometimes and oftentimes it will, but if it doesn't, we have to understand that she has been enduring a very unhealthy situation for a long period of time now. And it's going to take her some time to undo those thought processes and to rebuild her self-worth and her self-esteem. Absolutely. Absolutely. Everything that you said is spot on because that's exactly what happens. And people who are abusers are conditioned themselves. They've either been abused or they know someone who has been abused and they've picked up those habits and behaviors and they're very intelligent in the process because if they overstep one of those boundaries, if they go into physical abuse before the isolation and the steps are out of order, they'll get found out. That person's not conditioned enough. But if they follow the process that you just gave so brilliantly, that's how they continue on that abuse. So when abusers have a process too, don't you Right. Right. And you can also see that in business. You can see people who are very, very forceful and aggressive in business. And you often wonder in your mind, if you're like that with me and I'm a stranger or I'm an employee... How are you like that at home? And those are signs that I'm always looking for, whether I'm in business or I'm in social environments. You pick up on those little nuances because you've been around that environment, that conditioning. And that's what we have to educate people on as well. 
look at your friend next to you. How is he treating you? How is he, she treating you? Because there might be something within that that you can say to that individual that might give them a heads up or a warning. Say, wait a minute, I understand this kind of conditioning. And these are the consequences that follow in that condition. So it, it is looking for the victim and helping them out in many ways. But I think we as individuals can look for the perpetrators as well and, and letting them know. I mean, I have compassion, believe me. Mm-hmm. But when someone is abusing somebody, I'm sorry. That perpetrator needs to be held accountable ASAP. And if, and, someone, yeah. from my, if someone from my school, Ms. Anderson, had said, you came dead with a black eye, we're going to investigate that. Nobody cared. Now, I'm much older now, but at that time, nobody cared. If someone had said, Deb, we're going to investigate why you have a black eye, my dad probably would not be with us today. He would be either in jail or away from us. All right. Well, guys, we, we got to go, but I want to thank you, uh, Deborah and um, Nellie. Like I said, you know, we guys are available this month. We're going to hit um, the Ride Hard on this show, and we're going to get some more calls to call in next time and, you know, just get the word out because, like I said, we got to worry about the victim, you know. That's what we should be focused on. And, James, can I just give the hotline out just one more time? Sure could, Nellie, definitely. Um, it's one 800 799-SAFE, S-A-F-E. And again, this is, October is the Domestic Violence Awareness Month. Let's say something. Let's do something. Let's stand up. Amen. Thank you guys again for being on. And um, man, these are shows I love doing. We do too. Thanks, James. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Sammy. Thank you, James. Thanks for the work you're doing. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Loving That Sports Talk. But don't worry, James Loving will be back next week, Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific, on the Voice America Sports Channel. Get ready to love more sports talk then. And keep in touch with James all week at lovingthatsportstalk at yahoo.com. Oh, 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 oh,